back to the Valley to Peak Nutrition Podcast. I am joined again this week by Chantel Robitaille from Uphill Athlete. If you didn't get the chance to listen to the first conversation we had, we covered a boatload of information in that episode on altitude, nutrition, and things that we can do to adapt to a tough environment. There's a link in the show notes, and if you didn't get a chance to check it out the first time, I would be sure to put that on tap next, or you can stop this one, go listen to it, then come back to this one, however you want to do it. But she piled so much great information in there that I think it would be well worth your time uh, to go check that out at, at some point. Chantel graciously agreed to sit down with me a second time to cover an entirely different topic as far as training in the mountains goes. This time it was on specifically more on zone two training and the difference between building a base versus specific training and when and what to add and tangible things that we could use to measure if we're improving and whenever those things are taken to extreme when we should rely on those metrics less. So it was a really great conversation that again highlights the balance of optimal and practical and what we can do to balance training, nutrition and putting all of those pieces together. But again, really really practical useful information um from chantelle and so i can't thank her again for enough for joining me and i'm i'm fully confident that you will get a lot out of this episode so without further ado let's dive into it yeah so to give um listeners just a little bit of background chantelle when i reached out to you initially and um said hey we've got this podcast would you like to come on it and you said yeah but you know i'd like an idea of what we're going to be talking about which is very practical um so i'd sent you some ideas and again very practical and wisely said uh buddy i think you got a couple different podcasts here because that's a lot of information so this is part two uh the first part that we did was all about um everything really as it pertains to altitude and you i i posted a a picture of my desk after we got done. I just had <laughs> copious amounts of post-it notes all over the place because I just tried to take notes and things to come back to. And you just gave so much great information on this. This will be um, a little bit of a transition and more towards more geared towards training. And it's such a big topic that I had a hard time really trying to decide even where um, even where to start. And if you've got a better idea than this, I'd be all ears. But I thought maybe a good place to begin would be helping us understand the difference between a formal training plan with some structure to it. And then I'd love to dive into what should that structure look like compared to the general idea of let's, I'm just going to go be more active to be prepared for this objective, right? Like, so just to, maybe as an example, it seems like one school of thought that's understood by a large part of the population is I'm going to dedicate a portion of my week to exercise. I'm going to hammer myself as hard as humanly possible doing just <laughs> any random variety of different things. That's going to get me better in shape. And then come the date of my objective, I'm going to do better than I would right now. Can you help us understand the difference between that <laughs> and a, a formal <laughs> training plan. Well, that's a, that's a great place to start. And, um, I think, you know, I think about the people that I typically talk to in a given day, you probably come across a lot too, um, in your line of work is that, you know, people think about like, if, if a little bit of something is good for me, then a lot of it must be awesome. Um, and that's not necessarily the case. Um, and we also have, you know, people who've, um, 
depending on the background that they come from, you know, maybe it's a collegiate sport background, maybe it's a strength training background, Olympic lifting background, something like that. This whole thing about like, what doesn't kill you, get you stronger or, um, you know, go hard or go home or all of those things that kind of stick in people's minds that they feel that that's, that's the best way to go about it. And unfortunately, maybe when you're like a collegiate athlete or you're young and you're in your 20s, you can get away with a lot of stupid stuff, right? With your training or with your nutrition. But eventually, um, you're going to have to take things um, a little more carefully and and a little more planned out. Um, and so what typically happens is I would say like probably a good chunk of athletes that come to us looking for advice is because they've been doing exactly that. They are out there, weekend warrior type folks, and they are just hammering themselves on the weekends or they're hammering themselves going to a couple CrossFit classes a week and then doing a couple long hikes on the weekend and all they're getting is sore and tired. They're not getting any fitter. They're not getting any faster. All they're doing is getting more frustrated. And um, that's because they're not really, you know, putting um, any care into sort of planning planning things out. And unfortunately, you know, um, we'll come back to our hashtag. Um, the unsexy basics are important that, and maybe those are the things that they're not paying attention to. So in addition to sleeping properly, feeding themselves properly, managing stress, um, they also are going to probably benefit from organizing their training. And this doesn't have to get, you know, super challenging or super difficult, but I think at at uphill athlete, um, we try to make it pretty simple for people. And we think about sort of the, the three pillars of training, if you will. And the first pillar of training is continuity. And that means that over time with patience and some little bit of planning, you're going to get better. And, you know, the idea is that if there's something that you enjoy doing, whether it's hiking in the mountains, whether it's, um, big mountain skiing, big mountain snowmobiling, big uh, backcountry um, backpacking, hunting, whatever it might be, you're probably going to want to do that thing for a long time. And over time, you're going to improve your skills, improve your knowledge about those things. But also your, you know, if you're planning your training appropriately, your fitness is going to continually get better over time. Now, the ramp rate of how that fitness improves over time is is obviously going to vary. When you're new to doing something, um, you're going to get better pretty quickly, you know, with some a little bit of attention to it. And then over time, you're going to see that the improvements are going to be a little bit slower, but you're still going to be able to improve over time and, and maintain some continuity with the stuff you want to do. Um, so that's the first pillar is, you know, recognizing that. And then the second pillar that we think about is gradualness. And that means that your plan should be sort of organized and gradual. You're not just going to jump in with both feet right away, which is hard when you're excited about doing something, especially if it's new. So in the training world, we talk about this in terms of periodization. So that means that there's going to be periods of time where you're going to be focused on one thing or another. Um, we try to keep that simple. We think about sort of having four periods of time that we organize our training around. So let's say after a big objective or after um, 
a big challenge or big weekend, you know, hunting or hiking or whatever it is that you've been doing, that you're going to have a particularly period, particular period of recovery. And then after you have sort of recovered from that big thing that you've done, you're going to have a transition period. So that's sort of like slowly getting back to being active, moving around, checking in with your body and um, getting back to um, an easy level of activity. And depending on the person and what you're doing, that could be like four to six hours a week of something. And then you're going to move into um, sort of a base period. And this is going to be sort of the foundation for everything that you're going to do. So we'll get into this a little bit later on. Um, base period can go by many other names. Um, probably won't. that's, we think about uh, zones of training. Probably folks have, if you listen to any kind of podcast or read any kind of training blog or anything in the past couple of years, you've seen a lot of stuff about zone two aerobic training. So that's going to be some kind of longer, slower, um, easier efforts. And you're going to spend a chunk of time doing that. And then you're going to spend a bit of time specializing um, as well. So that's sort of the fourth period of the training. And this is when you are getting closer to your main objective. Um, you're going to be doing things that are a little bit more specific to what that objective is. So what are you going to be specializing in? Does that mean getting ready to carry a heavy pack? Does that mean um, making sure that, for example, if you're a backcountry hunter, are you making sure that you're practicing with all of your gear and, you know, you're simulating packing, uh, packing your meat out? Um, are you perhaps uh, practicing spending some time with uh, maybe it's target practice, things like that. Maybe it's your breathing when you are, you know, lucky enough to see your target. And, you know, how after all that hiking, how are you going to manage your breathing to be able to get that shot? Um, is it, you know, is it some big climbs that you're going to be doing that you're going to want to prepare for? So you want to sort of think about that objective and break down the things that are going to maybe make or break that objective being successful and make sure that you're practicing those things um, closer to the the date of your your big climb or your big adventure that, that you're going on. And like all things in the world of training and nutrition, I'm sure that this also is caveated with, well, it depends. <laughs> I feel like any, any good, um, you know, coach or whatever, should have that as a part of their vocabulary because it is always going to depend. Is there a roundabout, I guess I have, I have two questions. One, mm -hmm. is there a roundabout percentage of or exact, you know, quote unquote, amount of time you're, you're spending in each of those over a block of training focused on a specific objective, let's say. And then the second, if you think about, um, if you think about the the specialized piece of things you'd referenced, you know, even potentially looking at controlling your breathing while you shoot, obviously that doesn't contribute towards your physical ability. So like, I think, I think oftentimes people think of training in the sense of, I need to be doing something to exert myself to where it has some sort of beneficial value cardiovascularly or um, in my lungs or my muscles or whatever. But you're saying even 
even dedicate a portion of your time towards some of those more important things that are very specific to your, call it sport. Yeah, exactly. Because if you are preparing for an elk hunt, for example, and you're, you could be fit as a fiddle, but if you haven't practiced what it feels like carrying a heavy pack um, when you're tired, or you haven't practiced what it's like to try and hit a target when you're tired or when you're out of breath or managing it, all the work that you put in isn't going to matter much, right? So it's the same as like if you're preparing for a mountaineering objective and you haven't practiced with the specific gear you're going to need. You don't, you've never used crampons before, or you have some other sort of a skill. Um, maybe it's rope skills, things like that, that you haven't practiced. And now you can't get to the place you need to get to safely. And so all the work you've done isn't going to matter. So you want to think about when we think about training, you want to think about sort of two things. Where am I now? And where am I looking to go? What is my goal? And what do I need to be successful at that goal? Fitness and strength is going to be one of them. But then there are always going to be some quite specific skills or technical skills that you might need. And you want to think about those things too, to make sure that you're prepared on all levels. And then you think about the delta between those two things. What is it and what are my strengths and challenges now? How can I build those things into my training plan? So if we're pretty far away from that objective and we think about maybe we're just um, coming, maybe we're transitioning between sports, right? Which is the case for a lot of mountain people right now. They're coming off of a winter of skiing or snowmobiling, or sometimes they're still doing a little bit of that stuff. Um, we had a good winter this year. And thinking about sort of transitioning between sports, because obviously it's, it is going to take a little bit of a change for your muscles and your tendons and your ligaments to get used to that change in activity, whether that's hiking, running, or whatever that is. Um, even in your case, Kyle, we talked about that recently, right? You've been, because of the weather, you've been training a lot on a treadmill. It's even if you can comfortably run on a treadmill for two hours, it doesn't really mean that it's going to translate super easily to running on the trail, right? Right away. So you're going to have to have a little bit of transition time for yourself to get your body used to that again. Um, transition times, again, I could give you a ballpark. It's going to depend on you, where you live, your training history, et cetera. But a, trans, a good transition period could be, you know, somewhere in the four to six week range. Um, then from there, when everything is kind of feeling good and you're ready to start um, building your base, here we're more thinking about like building up training volume. So amount of time that you're spending training, you're going to probably spend six to eight weeks in that uh on that sort of uh, piece of your training. And again, that's going to depend a little bit on, you know, your background, what your goal is um, and your fitness level when you start and how your fitness level is changing over time. So some people might need a little bit more time. And then when you are sort of uh, maybe six to depending six to 10 weeks out from your objective, that's when you're going to be still doing some you know, base training, aerobic, low um, effort, aerobic training, but you might be also doing some higher intensity training mixed into that. And you might be also practicing some of your special specialized skills. So 
you know, in that specialization period doesn't mean that you're only doing those specific things. You're always going to be doing a certain amount of that uh, lower intensity work as well. And then on the whole, you're going to think about 80% of your time is going to be spent doing, you know, on those unsexy basic types of workouts. And about 20% of your time is going to be spent on those specialized aspects. Okay. That's, it's excellent, like practical information. Two, so two other questions, and this is why I go yeah. through so many post-it notes. Two other questions that I guess spur off of that would be, um, and, and if this is a topic that, you know, we've talked about covering later, feel free to, to push it off until then. One would be, is there a law of diminishing returns? Meaning, you know, if I'm at two and a half hours into a run, or even if my overall training plan is really aggressive, is there a point where you're really not getting much return on your investment for the amount of time that you're investing. In other words, more, you, you made this comment earlier, more isn't always better. So what does that look like? And second would be, how does strength training fit into this as well? Because I think that we had, so we had, um, we put some questions out to like social media, different outlets and social media. And that seemed to be kind of the consistent theme, although everybody worded it differently. Everyone wants mm -hmm. to know, like, what's the great balance between how much attention should I be giving to strength training versus how much attention should I be giving to more of this focused endurance training, whether that's base building, specialized training for that, that chunk right before you get ready for the objective. What do those two things look like? Yeah, that's a that's an awesome question. And I think that that's a, a definitely good one to cover. If we think about like I started off with the three pillars of trainings, we have continuity, we have gradualness, the third one is modulation. And that's kind of like an undulation of your training load. So we're going to have um, specific focus of training throughout time. But then also the training load, the amount of training that we do over time is also going to fluctuate. So when we think about um, the different phases of training um, in the recovery phase, that's going to be, you know, more or less like taking care of your body, doing a little bit of movement, not getting stagnant, stagnant, getting yourself ready for the next training phase, whatever that's going to be. When you're in your transition phase, you're going to be more or less focused on um, low effort, um, easy effort, endurance sort of training. And you can also be doing some general strength and mobility in that time as well. So we're looking at like, for the most part, maybe you're doing one to two sessions of strength and mobility per week and a little bit more focus on the mobility, making sure that all your muscles can move through their full range of motion. You're, this is a good opportunity to notice that like, I've got a little bit of a strength differential, for instance, between my right and my left side or my balance is great on my right side, but not on my left. So this is a good time to try to work on those things because you're really far away from your big objective. And you're also pretty far away from having a higher volume of training. So you can work that in. Once you get into your um, sort of base period, and now you are a little bit more um, focused on building up the volume of work that you're doing. So the, you know, the, the number of hours that you're training per week, this is where you're going to this is a good time where you can uh, focus on building strength. So you want to get stronger, not necessarily to get jacked or anything like that, but, but you want to be able to get stronger. Um, and thinking about 
your specific sport and your specific objective that you're preparing for, what is going to be most important? You know, what muscles are going to get loaded the most and trying to make that, um, that strength, um, strength work a little bit more specific to your objective and to your body. Because we think about in the transition phase, we're trying to identify maybe any weaknesses or any um, kind of challenges, movement challenges that we're having. And we want to try and improve those at the same time. And then that's the time where people think about like either building strength or, you know, developing maximal strength. You can also do within this time. But again, we're talking maybe, you know, on the balance, you're looking at two to three strength sessions per week. And then the rest of the time, you're going to be focused on your endurance. And then when we come to our specialization phase, this is where, you know, you can, now that you've built up, you know, you've gotten stronger and you've built up some maximal strength. Now we're going to put that strength to use. So now we're going to actually think about some improving our muscular endurance, because now that we've got those muscles nice and strong, we want to make sure that those muscles have the ability to repeatedly exert force for an extended period of time. So if you're doing a long hike, it's going to be important for you, for example, to be practicing with a weighted pack, right? Over time, making sure that your body can manage that stress. And we're always also thinking about how do our bodies get stronger or fitter or faster? It's not by doing the thing that you're doing. It's actually by resting, and giving your time body your your body time to adapt. So when we think about modulation of training or undulation of the training, the sort of pattern that we go through is giving our body some kind of a stress, giving our body some time to rest, and giving our body a chance to adapt. And then you just you're just kind of repeating this over time. So you want to make sure that each week that you are spending time also getting some rest that you are each phase of your training, giving yourself some rest. So maybe some people might take like a, a little bit of a rest week every three to four weeks, um, you know, in addition to having rest days built in throughout each week. And overall, it's better for you to be a little bit more conservative because you're always going to have a better time out in the mountains if you are overrested rather than being overtrained. Yeah, it's a, it's and that's great, something to think about. And a great point because mentally, you know, like so for overtraining, there's I mean, there's a there's a clinical definition for it. And part of the definition with overtraining uh, is is the mental aspect. Like you just don't even want to be somewhere that you actually usually love being. <laughs> and a lot of that is just the the mental component of being so so taxed from not having any rest days. Um, you had you'd mentioned this earlier, and I think it's um, I think it's become kind of the one of not the but one of the hallmark the banner things for uphill athlete, which is just you know experts really in in preparing people for the mountains period, but really honing in on that zone two training and you know the the book that's out from you guys the training for the new alpinism really really drives that point point home well. I said it a hundred times on here. It's, it's such a great book that if you have any interest in this topic at all, it would be worth getting a hundred times over. It's the best one that I've ever read on the topic. Can you help just help us? And this is a 
<laughs> this is, I have a feeling, going to be a deep dive, which is great. Can you help give us an idea of zone two training, what that means? And ultimately, I think what where, where the point of confusion lies for a lot of people is how do I, how do, how am I getting better and faster and operating under better fuel economy in the mountains by training slower <laughs> over time? versus just going out and really trying to redline myself all of the time? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. And for a lot of people who are used to redlining themselves all the time, it can be really challenging. And to, to understand the concept that like slow is smooth and smooth is fast in a sense, um, that I think is is a pretty common terminology for tactical athletes. So maybe for them, that's a little bit easier to understand. But for a lot of other athletes, it's really tough to understand that. And um, I read something really interesting the other day that I thought was just a great analogy. And it was about, it was an article about climbing and how someone um, had taken a different approach to their training and, you know, um, had a better training plan, had followed sort of the, the guidance of a pill athlete. And they had this great line where they said, powerful turtles do better than explosive hares in the mountains. And I love that because that, that is, that is the case. We just think about like a, a turtle slowly plodding around, but a turtle has a lot of strengths. And when we think about, um, you know, the, the focus on zone, zone two training, this isn't anything new. Um, and it's, I think like in, um, Sports science is very similar to nutrition, right? There's like, there's not really a lot of new stuff coming out. It's just maybe it's been branded or repackaged or <laughs> whatever in a, in a different way. We're not really learning a lot of new stuff. Um, but if we look at a lot of, you know, I think what was sort of different with uphill athlete in the, in the beginning is that they, they, um, one of the authors of the book, Scott Johnston, who was training, um, mountaineer and alpinist, Steve house, what um, Scott brought to the training was that he had a strong background in Nordic skiing. And he saw that in Nordic skiing to train the athletes, even though these athletes were were really powerful, like if you've ever watched a Nordic ski race, whether they are skating classic or whether it's biath biathlon, these are powerful, strong athletes. They have big muscles. They are moving fast. They are working hard. But 80% of the time, they are training at a very low effort and they're spending about 20% of their time training at higher intensities. And so what he did was he took this, this conventional training methodology and he put it towards an untraditional sport because at that time, you know, a lot of climbers and mountaineers, they weren't really training. They were just going out and climbing. Right. They were just climbing, 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 practicing that they weren't really doing much else in terms of their training. So he brought that training into it and then found that by putting some focus on improving their aerobic capacity and aerobic output, that they could actually perform better in everything that they did. And so I think from there, you know, they wrote the book and, you know, uphill athlete as a training organization was sort of born. Um, but you know, again, not really anything new. It's just sort of taking something that was already existing and putting it into a different approach. 
And so really what are we talking about when we think about zone two? Um, zone two is, is, as we sort of mentioned before, it's sort of easy conversational effort. And we're thinking about, you know, athletes doing this probably 75 to 80% of the time. And the reason we want to do this is kind of like, I don't want to get too nerdy, um, but it kind of comes back to, to um, our metabolism and, and bioenergetics. How do our, how does our, how do our bodies um, use, uh, use and create energy to keep us moving? And what, how do our muscles also perform? So if we think about that, um, we have to think about our bodies using, um, what do they use for energy? And our main sources of energy are fat and carbohydrates. And when we think about doing this uh, low effort sort of endurance, if we think about sort of endurance training, aerobic training, most of, for the most part, our bodies are using fat for fuel. And fat, that's, you know, fat is stored in our body and we can store a lot of fat in our bodies that we can use for fuel, but we can't really store a lot of carbohydrates. So when we are doing a lot of low intensity work, then our body is using a lot of our stored fat to keep it going. Of course, it's not, you know, it's not an all or nothing switch. Um, for the most part, though, it is going to be using that stored fat. And that means that it is sparing the carbohydrates um, in our um, in our muscles and in our liver. So that means it's kind of like hanging out there, storing it so that if we do have to do some higher intensity work, there is the capacity to do that. If you are constantly like working really hard, then you're going to just be using your carbohydrate and glycogen stores. You're going to run out of energy pretty quickly. Yeah. I love, I love that you included that part because what, like, I think the message that is often, you know, like the, we as a society have a very short attention span, right? No one mm -hmm. wants like the full version. They want the cliff notes. Let me go apply it. We'll see you later. So the cliff notes, or at least folks, a lot of folks understanding of the cliff notes of this is okay. Zone two training is going to be very, pretty, pretty low, moderate effort. Most people know what their heart range zone is within. We'll talk about that more in a minute. And the, the premise is, okay, I'll be burning fat as fuel. And the first con concept that at least my experience with people have, have understood this to mean, and this isn't true for folks listening, just sort of forecasting what, what it is that the assumption is, is that, okay, I'm a fat burner, meaning I need to be eating copious amounts of fat to, to, to do this type of activity. And what I, the part that I loved that you included in there was one of the key pieces is by going so at such a slow pace, the fuel economy is much greater. So you are burning predominantly fat, but there's always a mix of the different nutrients that your body's going to be fueled on based on intensity and training and all sorts of different things. But in effect, what you're doing is you're sparing what's firing the muscle fastest. So if you do come to a situation where the output all of a sudden becomes really, really high, you've got the gas in the tank reserved to do that. Whereas if you're always redlining, that fuel is spent and gone, you know, usually within 60 minutes at, and that's like max. 
right? And so I love the fact that you included, you are operating off of, off of fat, but a, a piece of that puzzle is mostly stored fat, not necessarily dietary fat, first of all. And then second, correct. And then second to that would be you're really it's the preservation also of the fuel stores within inside the muscle, which, as you said, are, are called glycogen. And I think that that is a great misnomer among the general population to say, like, OK, zone two, that's fat burning. I need to eat. You know, I'm drinking olive oil. I'm drinking almonds. And then they come to this really <laughs> steep objective. And they're like, I just hit a wall. What happened to me? I'm like, well, you read the cliff notes. That's not the full story. This is, you know, you still need some carbohydrate because if you don't replace those tanks over time, over day, especially if you've got like a multi-day event, you will be in a bad way pretty quick. So I thank you. Anyway, I just want to throw that in there. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think that's great. And I think the most important thing is that, you know, your body doesn't know systems, you know, your, your body's gonna, your body is, is, um, it's not a light switch that turns on and off. Right. And I think that's important to, to note. And, um, I think one of the, the cool things about the zone two training, we're thinking about, um, zone two training is predominantly, you know, we think about when our body is breaking down, um, breaking down energy to turn it into ATP to be used. That's happening. You know, we think about that happening under the presence of of oxygen, right? So you can keep doing that for quite a long time. Whereas when we think about, you know, our, um, we also have anaerobic energy systems that don't need oxygen for fuel, but those are limited. And the amount of, of energy that we can produce is pretty limited there. And the cool thing is, is that if we are um, putting an emphasis on our um, aerobic training, that is predominantly stimulating our type one muscle fibers. So that means we are getting like, they are, we are improving our blood flow. We are growing, we are growing more mitochondria. We are growing more capillary vessels. And so giving our body the opportunity to move blood around more efficiently and, and produce even more energy. And this also helps us have the ability to use more fat. So it is actually making us more efficient, not just in terms of how we use fat, but also the um, mitochondrial and capillary density that we're building is helping us when we are working at higher intensities as well. So this is a good way to kind of bring home that you got to go slow to go fast. And so if we if we if we take that really just the basic question of okay, what's so great about this? Why does it work? So we've we've sort of highlighted from a fueling standpoint you've got a much larger gas tank because you're preserving fuel largely because you're going rather slow part mm -hmm. one to that part two would be when you talk about mitochondrial density really what you're saying is you are recruiting or you know for layman's terms let's say you're growing you're getting you're earning whatever more of the cells responsible for converting the food that you eat at a table into the usable fuel that propels the exercise that you want. So if you were to say like, okay, on any given day, pre-training, before you meet uphill athlete, before you begin this training program, you have, and this is not factual numbers, but just for the sake of math and, and understanding, we'll use basic numbers here. You have one mitochondrial per muscle group. As you start training, as you start doing this zone two training, you naturally now get to four, five, six mitochondrial per, per muscle group. So what that means in effect is 
now you are processing, let's say you go from one to five, five times the amount of fuel that you had been previously, which is obviously going to mean much better fuel economy and more work at what at a lower perceived effort. Yeah, that's a great way to that's a great way to sum it up. But I think that's a, a good way to think about it. We're we're we are improving our economy. We're improving fuel economy. And that's one way that zone two helps improve fuel economy. The other way that improves fuel economy is that if we think about um you know, another popular term that's out there in the, you know, sports science is lactate threshold, right? And that's sort of our anaerobic threshold. So at your lactate threshold would be the amount of the hardest you could work for about an hour. That's all you've got. And at that point, you are, you are really reliant on carbohydrates at that point. And what the re- the reason why you're limited to that hardest effort you could sustain for about an hour is because your body is we are working now with sort of anaerobic ener- um, anaerobic energy systems and anaerobic energy pathways within the body and so they are converting those carbohydrates into energy and they are producing some byproducts and one of those byproducts is something called lactate not lactic acid that doesn't exist within the human body. That's probably another <laughs> topic or rant, um, but lactate. And we used to think about like, oh, that's my muscles are burning. I got lactic acid and I can't move anymore. Um, and we used to think about it being something really bad, but lactate is actually really awesome because lactate, yes, it's a byproduct of the glucose utilization that those fast twitch fibers are using when you're working much harder. But what's really cool about those is that there are transporters within your cells that can actually take those lactate um, molecules and move those to, to another energy system to be reused for energy. And so they can be reused by energy or they can be transported to your brain for fuel um, or to other vital organs. So lactate can do a lot of cool things, but eventually those transporters kind of run out and lactate starts to accumulate in the muscles and that changes the pH or the acidity level in your muscles. And so your muscles can become a little bit more acidic and that's where you might feel that burning sensation. Now, the cool thing is about your the zone two training is that by um, working with uh, the zone two training, it actually helps develop more of these transporter molecules. So it's going to help your body cope with the lactate and help clear it a little bit faster, which is another way that this slow training helps improve your faster training. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So it's Basically, you're exposing yourself to different situations. And so when the body gets there, like, let's say that it's, let's say that it is the objective. It's like, well, we've, we've been here before. Just clear it. I always picture thing. I always personify, um, metabolism and I've got this, uh, in my, in my office, I've got this map of human metabolism, not the really complicated version, a pretty basic version. And I kind of look at it like, you know, there's, there's a logistics coordinator in there and he's always really, mm-hmm. he's, he's the boss, right? And he's asking He's always asking the question as, as, as nutrients come in, main nutrients being carbohydrates, proteins, and fats, 
and you're exerting yourself, he's really the guy that's conducting the orchestra of metabolism to say, okay, here's what we've got. Here's how we're going to utilize it. I mean, the body's amazing in the sense of it can convert fuels that you're taking in into something you need, even if you're not getting it right. And we won't go down that rabbit hole, but it, there's, <laughs> there's, there's a ton of different alternative pathways to keep you going. And so it sounds like really zone two training with what you're saying is one, it's a, it's a, it's a much better system from a fuel economy standpoint, just from the sense of using the food that you eat for energy and not even the food that you eat, body fat that you store Two. Mm -hmm. It improves fuel, fuel economy because you recruit more processors. So now all of a sudden you can, you know, essentially process more fuel, which is obviously going to equal greater output. And then three, the systems that are in place, let's call them alternative pathways, improve even more because it's been exposed to this work before. It's not like it's brand new to it. Whereas maybe someone who's always redlining themselves, no real exposure to long-term arduous efforts not been exposed to that they're not their body's not as um primed to get rid of that lactate as someone who's been spent time in zone two yeah precisely and that's why when you have these folks that are redlining themselves all the time and the reason why they're just getting tired and not improving is because they're not working fast enough to improve their upper end aerobic systems or maybe their lactate threshold or vo2 max and they're not working at an easy enough effort to improve their aerobic system. So they're kind of in this gray zone where they're just getting tired and not improving and that, you know, and then just getting frustrated with themselves. That's great. One of, I want to, um, I'm going to switch gears just a little bit here. One of the, um, I've learned, <laughs> we've chatted three times, two of which has been recorded and I've learned way more than from you in those three conversations than a long time in training. So one of the things though was the zone two piece and heart rate zones and generally typical school of thought for finding what your zone two or what your heart rate zones no matter really what the zone is is you take 220 you subtract your age you figure out a percentage of that and each zone has a different percentage compared to what your quote unquote max heart rate is I would love um, really us to touch on three different things. And I, if you forget these, I've got them written down. <laughs> One, you, you had, when you had said this, it made so much sense to me. There's a big difference between taking 220 minus your age and figuring out your heart rate zones and then conducting a couple of basic tests to figure out your actual heart rate zone. And what I likened it to was jumping on an online calculator and having them tell you what your general calorie needs are versus hooking you up to an indirect calorimetry, which gives you your precise needs. There's a, there's a big difference between the two. So I'd love to touch on what those tests are. One, one of the, one of the things that we talked quite a bit about in figuring this out, and this comes up a lot in my training and certain metrics that I'm trying to aim for to achieve the outcome, aerobic threshold, anaerobic threshold, why those two are important and the relationship between them in terms of improving performance. That's a loaded question. So feel free to come back to it and say, <laughs> okay, here's answer one. What was the question two? What was question three? Okay, good. That Those are great questions and I'll do my best to answer everything. Um, when we think about training zones, there are all different types of training zones. There are four zone systems and five zone systems and seven zones. And I think the highest I've seen is 13 zones. So there's all different ones. At Uphill Athlete, we try to keep it simple and we keep it with four. 
And we have two anchors in this um, simple four zone system to try and keep it uh, simple for people and to allow people the opportunity to kind of personalize um, their intensities based on their metabolism, sort of like we just talked about. So usually what we suggest to people first is to do an aerobic threshold test and figure out what their upper limit of their um, aerobic capacity might be. So we just talked about like uh, zone two, what zone two is. So this test allows someone to sort of dial in what that is. And we think about zone two, that is going to be, you know, working on um, improving our slow twitch muscle recruitment. We're going to be predominantly, um, you know, it's, it's going to be predominantly our um, fat, fat utilization for energy that we're going to use for that. We're going to be training our aerobic capacity and our fuel economy, if you will. And this is going to feel like pretty easy uh, or, you know, low, moderate sort of intensity level. And there's a couple ways we can do this. But one of probably a simple way is for um, someone to go out and run, you know, choose something that is like fairly flat. So you're not going to have a lot of undulation in the terrain because that's going to, you know, affect your heart rate a little, little differently. You could also do this on a treadmill if you would want. But basically, you're going to give yourself a little bit of a warm up. And then you're going to think about, you know, um, nice, comfortable conversational if you were talking to someone pace for an hour and you're going to see uh try to maintain a similar heart rate around that time so take a look at your watch see what it shows like okay this feels com conversational i think i could hold this for about an hour and go do that for an hour and typically speaking if you are working at your um, upper level of your aerobic capacity, what's going to happen is that if you were to divide that workout in half and you looked at the first half versus the second half, you would see that your heart rate would change by about 5%. And that's normal because if you, you know, your, your heart rate can, will stabilize and hang out there for a while, but, but then after a certain point, we're going to get heart rate drift. So that means for the same uh, pace and the same heart rate, your heart rate is naturally going to start drifting up because now it, it's gone sort of beyond what it can take um, from the aerobic energy systems. So that kind of tells you that you've, you've reached the limit of that. If you're not sure where to start with this, you can use that 220 minus your age as kind of a starting point. But I prefer for people to like not stick to something that's standardized, go with something that's your own self Think about having a nice conversational pace um, and do it that way. And you might have to do it a couple times to figure it out. I'll throw this in just as like, a, a, sometimes I think examples are helpful. In our in Invalid Peak, we always talk about optimal versus practical. You know, if 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 the if the if the nerdery is too much for you, then <laughs> the, the 220 minus your age can most certainly give you kind of a baseline. But I will say this. As like, if you're, if you are, so I started in January, the objective is in July, there's a gigantic space in there. And what you'll start to notice, or at least what I've started to notice is as you keep training that heart rate, you will get more efficient and it will, what used to be, you know, 80, 85% or whatever of your, your max heart rate now becomes 70, 71, 69. 
So it's really helpful to have what your actual is because if I were to be going off of the 220 minus my age, my watch is telling me I'm redlining all day long, but mm -hmm. I don't feel like I'm redlining. And that's because my max heart rate, as well as what my aerobic threshold is, is different than that basic calculation. So certainly if you need just a standardized place to start and you want to aim more for practical versus optimal, well, it certainly is better than sitting on the couch. <laughs> but yeah. on, on the flip side of that, if you are into kind of the nerdery and you look at this and the instructions seem difficult, you guys have some great instructions on your website and I'll link those when I put this show up. There is a lot of value in knowing the actual number because you will spend time with your wearable or whatever telling you you're in zone two and you're way below that in, in, in an ineffective sort of way. And so you get to the objective and you're like, man, I still didn't do good, but the whole time I was in zone two. And in reality, you weren't. You were below that. And so you don't really reap the benefit from the zone two training. So there is value in doing that nerdery. And the other thing, I wanted to come back to you because this was something I had to find. You'd, you'd mentioned undulation in the terrain. And one of the reasons you really want something flat is anytime you throw an incline in, that's going to add a variable that's going to make your heart rate increase. You're not, you, you want to, you want an ideal heart rate based on just a standard effort. You don't want a bunch of variables like doing it in the middle of the day with a bunch of heat, throwing in a bunch of terrain that's you know got a lot of vertical elevation up and down. You don't want to throw on a weighted pack thinking that you're you know, man of the year getting your aerobic threshold with a pack on. You, you, you really want it to be about as standard as possible because it really does a nice job laying the foundation for your entire block of training that's to come. Yeah, I think those are really um, important caveats to put it out there, you know, if you're going to do this kind of testing, because you think like the formula, it can give you a benchmark, but you think about where does that formula come from? It comes from, you know, it's, it's from an old study that was once upon a time done across a wide cross section of people, wide cross section of ages, and they were not active people. So um, it's going to be a little different <laughs> for someone who's used to being active, which is why in your case, Kyle, it was like really off. So that's why it's, you know, you know, we think about doing the training, we want to make it as, as the more individualized you make it for yourself, then the better, the, tr the better training outcome you're going to have, you know, the, the better information you put in, the better it's going to be. Um, and so that's, that's kind of helpful there. And then, you know, when you do that test, you get that number that becomes kind of the higher end of your zone two. And then to find the low end of your zone two, you just subtract 10% from that. So then that tells you what your range is for zone two. And then what you have that, so that's kind of one benchmark that you're going to set. Now, if you are kind of totally new to training or you are, have had a break for a while, you're not going to want to do your lactate threshold or um, anaerobic threshold test right away. You're going to wait. You're going to wait a little bit because I don't want people going out and like doing something that's pretty hard and then getting an injury. You know, you want to make sure that you're, that you are physically prepared for it. And you might, you know, think about that effort level. That's going to be like, that's kind of like what most people think about is like fun hard. It's like comfortably hard. So you're working pretty hard. You're getting a good sweat on by the end of it. You're pretty happy it's done, but you feel pretty awesome, but it is going to be pretty hard. And so you want to make sure that you're prepared for that. So, um, you know, 
And if you think about the effort level that you're going to put out, as I mentioned, your lactate threshold or anaerobic threshold, that is basically the hardest you can work for a whole hour. So that's pretty hard, right? Um, so you want to make sure that you are physically prepared to do that. And it, you don't have to be a runner to do these tests. You can do these tests walking. Um, for the um, anaerobic threshold test or lactate threshold test, if you're going to do it walking, it would be better for you to do it on an incline because that way you're not going to be limited by pace or speed. Um, and you're going to be working hard enough to get your heart rate up to that to the level that you need to get sort of that comfortably hard place, but you're not going to be limited by speed or end up with shin splints or anything like that from trying to run when you're not used to it. And again, as Kyle mentioned, if you want to try these things, we have lots of videos and super detailed instructions for how to do it. Um, did you want to share something there, Kyle? No, go ahead. No, no, they want to hear from you, not me. You go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as I said, this is going to be like fun, hard, comfortably hard. And we are going to be working on, you know, activating some slow twitch muscle, but also some fast twitch muscle fibers. We are now going to be, you know, in terms of metabolism, we're looking more at our anaerobic energy pathways that we are activating. And so when we are training in uh, this zone, which would be zone three, uh, we are improving aerobic capacity and anaerobic capacity. And of course, you know, helping that those lactate um, shuttles and further working on our fuel economy. So you're to do this test, it is going to be pretty hard. Um, you're going to, you're going to also give yourself a little bit of a chance to warm up and then you're going to run pretty hard for 30 to 45 minutes. Uh, or, you know, or hike pretty hard for 30 to 45 minutes. So if you did like a talking test to see that you're at the right um, ability, you would be able to say maybe four or five words before needing a breath compared to when you do the aerobic threshold test. That's where you could have a pretty good conversation. Like I could, I could pretty much be recording this podcast while I'm doing it. I would just be maybe taking breaths uh, between every or five sentences. So, you know, there's a, there's a difference in that. And I do typically recommend people doing a talk test to help them figure out and sort of dial that in. The way that you, you described it to me, which was great. You said really what you're aiming for is you're trying to find a pace for about 30 to 45 minutes. That's fast enough to where you can only get about four to five breaths in. If you were to be talking or four to five words in, if you were to be talking before you needed to take a breath, but you don't want the pace to be so fast that you blow up. In other words, you don't want the pace to be so quick that you can't complete the full 30 to 45 minutes. And again, we're assuming that you have some kind of baseline fitness. You're not just going out and running this right off of the bat. One of the things, um, and so really before I, before I go to my next thought, so the aerobic threshold is a pace that you're trying to sustain for let's call it 45 to 60 minutes relatively easy and what you're monitoring is your average heart rate over that time you want it to be relatively sustained and that's that is really what you're aiming for your top the top end of your zone two training you, de you deduct 10 percent from that that's the bottom end the anaerobic is for 30 to 45 minutes and you're aiming for a pace that's hard enough but not so hard that you're blowing up one of the things that we've talked about 
before on here is, and, and we've talked about it in the context of, you know, your Garmin watch and even gear, the information that you get from it, because the question we'll get a lot is like, okay, well, is a Phoenix, is a Garmin Phoenix better than maybe an Instinct or a model that's not quite as expensive? And it's like, well, it gives you more data, but that's really only as good to you as what you know to do with it. The thing that I, right. the thing that I bring this whole test up with, and one of the, like the great epiphanies for me that you gave me, and again, I'll link this is you guys have a calculator. Then you go in there, you punch in what your average heart rate is during that aerobic threshold test. You punch in what your heart rate was, or, you know, around for your anaerobic threshold, the max is for both. Then you hit enter and it gives you some numbers. Yep. Can you talk about the, so I'm trying not to give it away. <laughs> Let's see. How do I want to ask this? If there's a, if there's a, the, the data that comes back then is 10%, like, let's just say what you're looking for is roughly 10%. If you're, if there's anything over 10%, there's a specific component of training you need to add in to improve. If it's lower than 10%, then your objective for training, you should add more of a specific type of training. Can you talk about that piece of it? Does that question make sense? Yeah. So we're looking at establishing our zones, right? So you're talking about the the zone calculator. So by adding in those two important benchmarks for your aerobic and your anaerobic threshold test, that's going to give you what is the range for, of course, your zone two and your zone three, but it's also going to tell you what is your, um, what are the zones going to look like for what's above and below those. So zone one and zone four. So what we're also going to look at is in that calculator, what it will also tell you is what is the percent difference between those two? Um, what is the difference between your anaerobic and your aerobic tests uh, or capacities? So you're going to do those two things and then you're going to see what is the difference. And then we call that sort of the 10% the test. And what we want to see here is whether or not uh, you have enough sort of basic aerobic capacity to warrant adding in some higher intensity training. And if the difference between those two heart rate um, numbers that you came up with for those two tests is greater than 10%, then that means that you can probably benefit from spending some additional time in zone two or potentially zone one. So we want to kind of bring those two a little closer together. And when we talked about the sort of the um, metabolism changes that happen with the zone two training, and how it also helps with the lactate shuttles and improvements in mitochondria by spending a little bit more time improving that aspect of your metabolism. It's going to allow you to get more out of training at and above your lactate threshold, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it makes great sense. The so the and I'll link the calculator to just make sure I'm understanding it right. And I hope so. Cause I based my training off of this, Yeah, <laughs> you punch in, you know, and you can use, if you don't know your max heart rate, you know, there's a, there's a standardized number. You can just use zero. So it doesn't, doesn't exclude you from still being able to figure this out, punch in your anaerobic threshold, you punch in your aerobic threshold. Not only does it give you what your actual heart rate zones should be, but it also tells you that percentage between the two, anything less mm -hmm. than 10%, you're going to need to add in some, you know, tempo work or some speed work. Your 
a little bit deficient in your ability on that end. Anything above 10%, and you guys have you know an acronym for this called ADS, um, and you can dive into that if you'd like to, but basically it's saying, okay, you're going to need to spend some time developing more of your endurance base. So I think that that's, it's just a, it's a, for, for a lot of folks, myself included, even having just a little bit of a background in this, it's so helpful because it really focuses your training. And at the end of the day, like my observation has been in working with people, really what everyone's after is, I just want, I, I have a number of roles. I work, I have kids, I have you know, pets, I have, everyone's got all of these roles that they're involved in and they can only dedicate so much time to training. And really the question they're asking is, what's the best ROI? And the thing that I love about your help and these tools and uphill athlete tools, and even the training for the new alpinism is it's all built around taking very basic ways to help you answer that question. What is it that you need to get what you want? And it's all it's just all such helpful tools. And so I think that um, I'll definitely link those, but yeah, hopefully that helps people understand how to use those tools, what some of the numbers mean, and then what to do with those numbers in terms of implementing them into their training. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's some people that think about like, oh, it says like I've got aerobic deficiency syndrome. That's terrible. It must be affecting my ability to lose weight or I hear so many funny things when people do these things. First of all, <laughs> it's not a medical diagnosis. Um, it just means that there is a wide range between those two thresholds. It's not good or bad. It's just information, right? And, and as you just said, Kyle, it gives you an opportunity to know where you're going to get the most benefit from paying attention to now. Um, and I think that's really helpful because sometimes when people are new to training or even if they're not new to training, they may feel like they're just not making any improvements. This is a good way to look at where are you at yourself, not your buddy and what they're doing and what their training looks like, but where's your body at and what can you most benefit from right now to make the best difference. And I think, you know, with, with, um, planning your training out, I think this is a really great first step for, for people. And if you pay attention to these things, you will you will notice differences. And, you know, Kyle, you kind of talked about the all the data and information that we're collecting from watches, right? And sometimes people get kind of discouraged, like, well, I don't see this changing or I don't see that changing. Think about the fact that, yes, we want to establish these training zones based on your heart rate, but don't forget about like you as a human being and the feedback that your body's giving you. How are you breathing? How are you feeling? How are you recovering from day to day? Pay attention to those things too, because heart rates are really variable. Your heart rate is going to be different every day based on so many things. How did you sleep last night? Um, you know, did you have a, a kid up in the night who was sick and you didn't sleep very well? You're going to wake up and your resting heart rate is going to be elevated before you even get out of bed, right? So your heart rate that day might not be super accurate. What did you eat? How much did you eat? How far away from your workout did you eat? Did you drink any caffeine, caffeinated stuff? How long before? If you're a woman, what phase of your menstrual cycle are you at? What's the temperature like outside? So, you know, if I'm training today and it's uh, 50 degrees and then I go out tomorrow and I'm training and it's 30 degrees, the same workout, my heart rate's going to look pretty different. So also 
think about how you feel and try to correlate those things. So like when I talked about, um, you know, doing these tests and how you should be breathing and, and doing a talk test, I always recommend people do a talk test as well, because I want you to sort of correlate what that is um, for you. What is a zone two? How are you breathing? How are you feeling? How are you speaking? Because the reality is, one, you're going to be different on a day-to-day basis and you don't want to throttle yourself down on a day where you are feeling really good or the reverse, you're not feeling very good and everything feels harder. But when you're out doing your whatever objective it is, you're probably not going to be wearing a heart rate monitor for a three-day hike or a backcountry hunt or whatever it is that you're going to be out doing, right? So you want to be able, when you're out doing those things that you know, like, okay, I hear my breathing, that's definitely zone three, not sustainable. I got to drop it down, right? Pay attention to how you feel as well. And don't don't discount the subjective feedback that your body is giving you every day. So if we, if we execute, like if we, if we, you know, plan a base period and we plan a specific period and, and we sort of execute everything right, we spend a majority of our time, let's call it 80%, in zone two and we've also done some muscular endurance work and and all that what should we be able to expect when going out to the objective is the idea of of zone two training that you're able to move faster than you previously were are you able to go longer at a at a slower pace is there a i guess i guess that would be question one would be what what's the idea what to expect number two is um, in your experience, what is what are people's unrealistic expectations? What are they expecting from zone two training that simply isn't going to happen because of some other factor? Well, there's no magic here, right? It's just you've got to put in the time, you've got to put in the work, and you've got to be also throughout your training, be aware of the changes that you are noticing. So are you noticing that your one hour, your typical, you know, one hour hike or run? on the same route is, you know, you're covering more ground, you're covering more distance in the same amount of time, little by little, notice that, you know, and, or do you notice that you're recovering better from one day to the next? Notice that that's an improvement. Are you feeling like you can, so, you know, you have a training buddy that you go hiking with a lot and that person is usually faster than you and you feel like you, he's, that partner is suddenly waiting for you a little bit less and you're able to keep up a little bit better or you're able to, you know, I have some people that say like, I can't talk and hike at the same time. I can't, (laughs) even if I'm going really slowly and maybe some over practicing and practicing doing the talk test, you are able to better calibrate the effort that you're putting out and you're able to notice that. So over time, you should be able to notice that you can go faster for, less effort than previously. You might notice that you can go for longer, that you can feel more efficient. You may find that you get um, less tired carrying a heavy pack, or you can go a little bit farther carrying a heavy pack than you used to be able to. So notice all those small things. And again, you know, we're what we're really working on is being able to do the things that we love and not feel and be able to enjoy them more. Right. Because if you're not burning yourself out or you're not feeling like you can't keep up with your um, adventure buddies, 
then you're not really going to have the best time. So notice the small things because all the small things are telling you that you're you're improving. There's not going to be only one metric, right? That's going to show you your improvement. So look at all of the things. Look at both of the the objective data that you're getting with, you know, heart rate numbers and other data that you may be looking at. But look at all those subjective things too, how you're feeling, how you're breathing, how you're moving, how you are uh, measuring yourself in different ways. It all matters. I, I don't know if you meant to do it or not, or even notice, but what I love the most about your answer was really what you were saying is you are comparing yourself to yourself. They're really yes. like, you're, you're not, you're not measuring your, your buddy who's, you know, six, five and been doing this for 25 years, you're measuring yourself against when you first began. And, 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 and my personal experience, not, not just, you, you know, even working people, me, me personally, that's the fastest road to, to, to discouragement is when you're trying to compare yourself to someone else versus yourself, if you were to measure yourself as the standard to when you had started, wow, you would be amazed about how, by how much you've, you, you've grown. And so the fact that you're saying like, there is no standard of expectation beyond you should, if you run this right, notice an improvement beyond where you first began and, and measuring mm -hmm. yourself against yourself. I think that that's such a good takeaway. Yeah. And also maybe measuring yourself against yourself when you first began, not to like when you ran track in high school. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> or or if you're a parent now don't compare yourself to you know how you were before you had kids because your life was different then yeah. compare yourself to now yeah that's awesome Chantel I, I can't thank you enough for the information that you shared is there anything else that you'd like to like to to talk about before we before we jump off oh man we could always we could always have one more thing to talk about, but I think that's a good space to kind of wrap it for there um, for today to, to give people some information. I think the main thing is, is that knowing that, and I think I touched on this in the last call too, you know, on uh, the uphill up uphill athlete website and forum, we have a lot of great resources that are free um, that you can access if you have any interest in learning more about this stuff or how to train, how to plan. So, um, you know, don't be afraid and feel like um, you can't access it because one thing for us is making sure that um, information is accessible to people regardless of what their goal is or how much, you know, they have to invest in this. So um, come visit us and uh, dive in if you feel so inclined. Yeah. One of the things that drew me to Uphill Athlete is, you know, kind of the, the MO is we want to give you as many resources as humanly possible to do what you love. Sure, we run a program and we're here to help if you've got very specific questions, but that's not the why we exist. We have, you know, you guys have countless resources. And I will say this too, and I've said this earlier, the Training for the New Alpinism is just an excellent book for people who are borderline nerds to full-blown nerds and want to <laughs> learn more about that. It's, a, it's an awesome book to buy. So I will link um i'll link the calculator because we spent a, a quite a bit of time talking about that and some of the other things as well as um the book and ways that they can can get a hold of you guys so thank you so much for coming and sharing your knowledge and if people do want to reach out do you prefer that they reach out to the um 
the uphill athlete email, the general in- information email, or you specifically? Do you have a preference? Yeah, I don't. I don't mind at all if if people want to reach out directly. That's no problem. Perfect. Do you have a place where they you'd like to say where they can find you? Do you want to broadcast yes, your email? <laughs> they can. They can find me at Chantel at uphillathlete.com. And uh, that's probably the easiest way. And then otherwise, if that is challenging, just head on to our website. And if you go to the the contact link, um, you can always put a little note in with your question that you um, you wanted to connect with me based on hearing the podcast and, and um, someone on the team will make sure that gets to me. Perfect. Thanks, Chantel. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. But thanks again to Chantel for joining me. If you've got any questions for her or want to check out the stuff that Uphill Athlete has, you can check out the link in the show notes and see what all they offer. We'll be back again in a couple of weeks for another new episode, but I did want to let you know that we're releasing a new online course that we've developed on May the 24th called Foundations. Foundations is designed to help fix the biggest thing that we've seen stand in the way of people making progress towards their goals in the six years that we um, first started Valley to Peak, and that is confusion. That seems to be the number one thing that people put in when they apply to the program is like, why haven't you started yet? I don't know what to do. More than happy to do the work. No idea where to even begin. So the course isn't designed to tell you what to do. You're not going to find meal plans in there or anything like that. Instead, it's aimed at educating you to make your own choices over time through several hours of video content, a workbook, potential option for group coaching, and something we're calling Foundations Plus, and a bucket load of other resources for you to check out. It's all web-based. It's all in one place. It's all self-guided. You have access forever once you sign up. So there's no pressure to get in and try to chip it all away. If you feel like, well, right now is a busy season. I don't know if I can do it. Well, that's great. You can do it whenever you want. You'll have access once you get to it. So that releases on the 24th of May to be sure not to miss when it releases. Go ahead and click the link in the bio or in the show notes and sign up for information so that you'll be sure to stay updated whenever it gets released. You will not get any other emails from me through that. If you want to be a part of the newsletter, that's something entirely different. This is strictly for people who want information about the release of this. And I have committed to saying, look, that's all I'm sending you. I'm not sending you anything else. It's just updates on that. So don't feel like you're going to get loads of spam if really all you're interested in is, um, is signing up for that. If the episode was helpful, would you take a couple of minutes, jump into the podcast platform that you're listening in, rank it, share it with a friend. Both of those help us get the word out to more folks so we can keep providing sound information to help everyday people enjoy the mountains and life. We appreciate you joining us this week. We'll see you back here again in another couple of weeks. We've got some really exciting episodes still to come. So we look forward to you joining us on that. Have a great week, everyone.